0: Welcome to this episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Kane, and with me as always is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: Uh, Today is May 30th, the day after Memorial Day. Apologies for being a day late this week. We had to celebrate like the rest of you. Um, We've got a pretty fun episode for you this week. We're going to be talking about the unwritten rules of the publishing industry. Dun, Um, dun, dun. yeah, along with the various other things, we're going to do a listener mailbag at the end, which we always like doing, and we hadn't done one in a while, so it was time for that. Um, but before we get to that, how about the basic rundown, huh?
1: Yeah, so it's almost June, which means it's time to announce our special June episodes for our Patreon subscribers. Mm-hmm. Um, our query show goes live June 8th, which is next Thursday. Then, da da we have our new special episode. Writing by Reading, going live on Thursday the 15th. So yeah. let's let's talk for a minute about that. Yeah,
0: that one. Um, so if you hadn't heard, last week uh, we announced this, and we've kind of been talking about it online a little. But basically what we're going to do um, is take a passage once a month that either everyone's heard of or everyone's been reading or from some book that you're really excited about, um, and we're going to kind of dissect it from a craft perspective. Um, we're going to take... You know, some passage that just makes you go, man, that's really good. How can I incorporate that into my own writing? And talk about how you might be able to incorporate some of the things that successful author is doing into your own work. Um, you know, I think that it's going to be really good because so much of writing advice is kind of detached from any actual text and it's and that and because of that it becomes very general
1: or it's very focused uh, on the beginning yeah or it's yeah, very yeah. focused well, on the end right and we
0: and we have a show that's focused on you know the, the beginning. very beginning and it's like we this let's kind of get away from that get away from just kind of general you know show don't tell and like other kind of boring bits of writing advice that are tough to know how to apply and by attaching it one to books that people like and are hoping to write like you know um, and also it it lends itself to specificity and I think maybe so even some more advanced stuff just because we're looking at something that allows for a discussion about techniques that you wouldn't necessarily come up with on your own. Um, so I don't know. I'm really excited about it. We'll announce uh, the passage we've picked for the first episode soon. I want to hold on to it a little longer because, you know, I like surprises. But <laughs> um, yeah, no, we're really excited. Um, if th- It's also something for, you know, people who – um, you know, maybe you aren't, aren't currently at the stage where you're looking to have your first page workshop or you're trying to get your query shopped around right now. But if you just want to um, learn something. right? Yeah, exactly. It's just like writing. It's just like a craft talk for anyone, regardless of where you're at in the process. And so we really hope that you'll join us. And we think it'll be a really good time apart from that.
1: So as a reminder, that is June 15th, mm-hmm. which is a Thursday. And then the next Thursday, June 22nd, is when our first pages show comes yep. live. Yep. Um So if you're already a first pages tier Patreon subscriber, you will have access to the writing by reading. Um as a reminder, send your queries, your first pages or your suggestions yeah. for the Writing by Reading show mm-hmm. to us at printrunpodcast at gmail.com mm-hmm. So we've got a little bit of a follow-up from our big episode <laughs> yeah. last week because yeah. one episode on Amazon wasn't enough. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll touch on it. So what what do we have here?
1: So two two news items that broke this week yeah. in the normal um, kind of trade mag publishers weekly. Yeah. Um, With the first week of Amazon's chart being out, uh, it comes as a surprise to no one that books that Amazon publish, (laughs) that they publish, uh, are on the charts more than on any other charts.
0: So um, let's just – in case anyone didn't um, listen last week, um, Amazon Charts is basically um, a new bestseller list online um, that's run by Amazon and based entirely on Amazon sales. And – the very, very obvious prediction that we and um, everybody else in the whole world has made is that, well, this is going to feature um, – it's going to feature Amazon books more because um, it's entirely based on their own sales, their own data. Um, it the includes data things thing, like
1: Audible. It right. includes rentals, all exactly.
0: that jazz. Um So it's a very Am- – I mean obviously it's their product. It should be Amazon-friendly. But it's a very Amazon-friendly list and that's going to change the books that appear – on what we kind of consider the bestseller list, right? And so, but there's something interesting happening with the data here.
1: Yeah. So, Amazon has for a very long time been kind of frustrated that they haven't been showing up on the other lists, specifically yeah. the New York Times list. Um, and the New York Times. That's partially because most of the New York Times lists go off of Nielsen BookScan lists, which yep. are which which is a kind of trade tracking it's a
0: sales data, data sales yeah. data for
1: print books. Yep. And Amazon, as you know, is a lot of eBooks. Um, but the New York Times. Recently launched a combined print and ebook bestseller list. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is unclear if Amazon is supplying the New York Times with their sales data, right? So if they are not, yeah, basically they were creating a like catch 22 for the New York Times bestseller list where it's hey, you're not including us, but hey, we're not giving you the data to be included.
0: Yeah, I mean, so Amazon is notoriously private, uh, with their sales data and stuff, and that's. For them, it's advantageous in a lot of ways, but it also, in this one particular instance, sort of hurt them, right? Because if you don't report your sales data, it's hard to incorporate um, that sales data into a ranking list based on sales, right? So um, they, in their own view, and really they they were you know, kind of getting host on the New York Times bestseller list, and now they've created this new um, list. And
1: and now they're the, the winners. Bo- right,
0: exactly. And now the books, so now the book lists look different. Like one thing that I think is important to realize about this stuff is um, it's n- this is not a direct analog to the New York Times bestseller list or any other you know list like that. I mean, this is based on entirely different sets of data for the most part, and um, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how that goes, but it's going to um, kind of like we talked about last week. And I mean, we don't have to beat the dead horse here too much because obviously we just did a giant episode <laughs> on it. You should go listen to it if you haven't yet, but. Um, It's going to change the books that get exposed in all the ways that charts matter.
1: It is. It is. And I'm wondering what that's going to do with print books. Uh, Speaking of print books, (laughs) um, Amazon also recently opened this week their bookstore, their physical bookstore in New York City.
0: Well, so it's funny. It's not just New York City. It's way funnier than that. They stuck it um, in Columbus Circle, (laughs) which is right like down the road, like around the corner from Simon and Schuster. And Penguin Random House. And
1: Hachette is a few (laughs) blocks away.
0: Yeah. So they've put this big store and like the end of this article kind of makes a pithy observation that um, well, publishers will surely be walking in to see it. It's like I'm just like imagining all these like salty like (laughs) – On their lunch break. Just mm. (laughs) – But so about the store itself, um, it's interesting to me because obviously um, some of the shelves are organized in – manners that only amazon would do for instance they've got you know things are sorted by you know their own customer reviews and frequently things
1: like that. wished for travel books exactly like, like they, that's they can, weird so
0: because they have so much data at their fingertips and so much specific data at their fingertips they're able to kind of organize a physical store in a way we haven't really seen before and so that's going to be really interesting and if you've ever seen any pictures of some of these stores um you know the categories are weird you know the or i guess weird is a bad way to put it but just different than what we're used to from a traditional bookstore Um, But one thing that really stands out to me about this, and this is something that they deserve a ton of credit for, um, these stores have been adjusting on the fly based on customer feedback, right? Sometimes Um, hourly. Exactly. Like Amazon is able to think very quickly on its feet even when it comes to the arrangement of their physical stores. And it's just – it's a response to um, consumers that simply doesn't happen in most bookstores, um, most publishers, basically, um, Amazon without question is, um, it's, they're the king of creating a good consumer experience. And that same kind of fast thinking is, is happening now. Like, you know, like what's, what does it say here about the religion shelf?
1: Oh, they, um, moved the self-help section from right next to the religion section to right next to the business books.
0: Right. And like, that's a small change, but it's something that, um, it increased sales immediately.
1: In both areas. In both
0: areas. It's is based on – you know what I mean? Like they're just able to do these things so quickly to kind of maximize. And it's just hard. It's hard for me to see how a physical bookstore from Amazon isn't going to be a success because they're working with way more information and they're better at reacting to information. And I don't know. I mean obviously last week we talked about reasons that might be scary. But for like as always, like from a consumer perspective um, – It'll probably be really great. I'd like at to walk <laughs> into an Amazon
2: bookstore. So where like are they it. right
0: now? There's one in Seattle. There's one in New York City. There's
1: going to be 13 by the end uh-huh. of the year um, in a lot of places that like I've never been to and probably will never go to. <laughs> so um, we got San
0: Jose, Los Angeles, Walnut Creek, uh, Bellevue, Washington. Um, is
1: it Bellevue? Really? I don't know
0: how to say it. How do you say it? I don't
1: know. Bellevue? I have okay. no idea.
0: Whatever. Anyway. Um,
1: We've please, made like our two please, listeners and Bellevue hassle, Washington upset.
0: Please hassle Laura, Laura online about her pronunciation of Washington Cities. Um, but yeah. So anyway, we just figured we'd give a brief kind of follow up on you know things they're doing. We'll obviously be watching them, but the bookstore is interesting to me because they're reacting in a manner that I find to be quick and interesting.
1: So today we're doing one of my favorite bits. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the James Patterson book of the week.
0: Thank God, it was time.
1: This book is out June sixth.
0: Coming up, mark your calendars.
1: And here's what it's called. It's available for pre-order on wherever books are sold, mostly Amazon. The Lawyer Lifeguard.
0: (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. So, but the Lawyer Lifeguard. That's what it's called. Okay, so this is by James
1: Patterson with Doug Allen. This is
0: my thing with. I just feel like they're like spinning a giant like ad lib wheel and just like coming up with nouns and like sticking them next to each other and be like, yep, that'll work. And like they do make it work.
1: But you know what? You were like, I'm not sure if I want to do the James Patterson book of the week. And then I said, no, Eric, there's a book called The Lawyer Lifeguard. (laughs) That happens. And guess what we're doing?
0: That happens every single time we talk about doing the James Patterson book of the week. I'm like, I don't know. Is it time for the bid again? Should we really be bringing it up? And then you like tell me what it's going to be. And I'm like, we absolutely have to do it. We need it. We need it right now. Um, th- so tell me about the lo- the lawyer lifeguard.
1: I'm just going to read the copy for you. Yeah. Are you the lawyer who got blown up with his girlfriend?
0: <laughs> I feel like the rhetorical. They're that... getting weirder. <laughs> oh, they're getting more specific.
1: They are. And they're getting more so that like, okay, out of all of the James Patterson books that we've read, this is the one that I want to read the most.
0: Like, I feel like usually like in the beginning of Jack, a copy. The rhetorical question that gets led with is usually something like based on like what would you do if you've had a chance to redo the one thing that you most regret? You know, like some very broad but, like, moral question. But here it's like getting more specific. It's like what if you were the lawyer from Kenosha, Wisconsin who had to deal with the laundry on, <laughs> on a specific day of the week? It's like, yes, that's me. <laughs> like,
1: I would like Jim to know that I am indeed yeah. the lawyer who got blown up with my okay, girlfriend. thank you. Yeah, good. Here we go. Yeah. Defense lawyer Brian Lord survived the car bomb that killed his fiance. Oh, out of work and out Bummer. of his mind, he takes on a lifeguard job at the beach. But there's one wave he'll never see coming.
0: <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So.
1: I'm, wonder- I'm wondering if the girlfriend and the fiance are different people.
0: Oh, I think I think they're the same person. You think they're the Come same on. person? Yeah.
1: Also, should he be dealing with life and death situations if he's out of his mind?
0: Yeah, that's what makes it interesting. He's a loose cannon with nothing to lose. And some uh,
1: red shorts.
0: <laughs> the lawyer lifeguard man. Right, I gotta. I gotta follow up on my bookshot submission. <laughs> <laughs> I need. I need an agent. It's time. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, hey.
1: the lawyer lifeguard is your James Patterson book of the week.
0: Okay, <laughs> so enough silliness. Um, it's time to get to the rules. Um, so we wanted to talk about. Um, something that is in every realm of life, whether it's a sports league or an industry or something, the unwritten rules, you know, just sort of like the norms and the traditions or like the specific things. When
1: it's OK to get into a fight. Exactly.
0: <laughs> well, that's the thing. We were kind of planning this out and planning out this sort of discussion about just like norms that no one ever talks about but just continue to be like true in book publishing and then all the baseball men got in a big fight and I I love baseball fights and they feel very relevant to me here because um, baseball fights and the game of baseball are all governed on just this completely opaque set of unwritten rules that where you'll be like watching and like nothing will happen that's discernible to the eye and then all of a sudden everyone on the teams are starting to punch each other it's like the only part of baseball I enjoy but it's a good part and I was like how can we make publishing like that (laughs)
1: so we're gonna share the secret fistfights of publishing
0: right or just like not and not even just that but like we want to get to um just the little tropes or patterns or things that don't really come up in anything other than just repeated behavior but like no one ever speaks of these things but Um, it's kind of a rule okay so give us the first give us the first rule
1: you're not a kid's book writer until someone on the internet has accused you of an ism.
0: <laughs> so, this one, yeah, this one is one you should speak more on. But, like, I feel like um, every time I look up, every time I log on to Twitter.com, um,
1: kid Twitter's mad.
0: Yeah. The children's book, the children's book community, all the adults of the children's book community. Are just furious with each other yes. <laughs> about something. All like the time. everyone is mad and everyone is um, being like racist or misogynist or something. Um, and <laughs> you do you find this to be the case, right? I
1: I do. Um, and here's why.
0: Okay, so let's do a little differentiation here. Okay. Um, when you say that you do feel that you do feel that most of the time whoever it is is actually being like does somebody's
1: always being dumb. Like somebody says something that they don't think about so the outrage or somebody is, the outrage is
0: justified. Usually. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. I mean, to, to what extent it gets blown up, you mm-hmm. know, there you go. But um, so these books are for kids, yeah. right? Yeah. And our children are the future, Eric.
0: Yeah. yeah. And so it's time for me to log on.
1: <laughs> so our children are the future yeah. and a lot of the people who work In kids publishing, and that's editors, agents, writers, et cetera, they take that very seriously. Yeah. Kids are very um, malleable.
0: Nothing says um, self-seriousness like pretending you are the guardian of our children's minds.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um, And so they are a lot more – I think out of – they're kind of the pioneers when it comes to – being representative in publishing. Yeah. They're kind of the pioneers. It's a lot easier to, like, get a kid to buy a book with somebody that doesn't look like them on the cover than sure. it is to, like, get, sure. like, a, yeah. you know. Right. There you go. So... um <laughs> I don't need to finish that (gasps) sentence. You know where it's going. The
0: chances for um, diverse representation and such are strong in children's book, and as such, these fights and the advocates are strong there. Exactly. You know,
1: because children are our future. Like that's where it starts. Right. And so what happens is like. Somebody comes in swinging with something dumb or like a bad hot take, or somebody is
0: usually someone's written a book, right? Yeah, or somebody, yeah, yeah,
1: somebody's written a book that's really offensive, and then nobody's known until like somebody who is of that group that is being offended reads it and is actually offended. And then
0: that's the part that's the funniest to me is that somehow. All these like conversations about the blatantly racist thing that's appearing in the fun little children's book. We're always talking about published or finished books.
1: They're really like, close. It's always, It's Usually, always like
0: we've already done them. We've already acquired it. We've we've already chosen to represent it. We've already acquired it. We've already edited it. It happens really late in the process. we already sent it to a copy editor and a proofreader, and everyone has looked at this book and suddenly it's <laughs> either at wrong. the arc
1: stage or the finished stage, and that's why yeah. people get so mad because there there are yeah. not enough checks along the way. So no, then, there are like plenty
0: of checks. There None of them are doing their job. Exactly. That's the so so then yeah.
1: everybody, you know, like, you know, everybody says something that, you know, can be taken the wrong way by somebody or that you yeah. say the wrong way. Yeah. But in children's publishing, like, <clears throat> it just, it goes first and it goes fast. Because so. there are also that aren't, aren't that many children's books. Yeah. So it's a higher proportion yeah. and there's, you right. know, there but our children and... Lots of um yeah. So what was
0: the big famous one? Like it was something about George Washington there like were two, washing over the slave. There like, were that. two.
1: The birthday cake <laughs> for George Washington had smiling slaves that were making a birthday cake. And then there was another George Washington yeah. one. Or no, there was another one called A Fine Dessert, mm-hmm. which was about a it was like a history of this like southern dessert that um this, these happened at the same time and that one had time? yeah and that oh, one God. had like slaves in the closet like smiling and like oh, licking Jesus. the spoon or something um and they were both pulled yeah. they were both wow. pulled and there was one really recently called the continent which was ya and it's just like it's just a it's a big thing
0: so basically if you <laughs> the rule here is that if you're a kid's book author you're going to get yelled at for some sort you're of You're going to
1: get yelled at and you're going to be successful if you just don't say anything and you just listen.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: And then you go, you're right. I'm wrong. I am sorry that I did this to hurt you. you also gotta, Let me fix it.
0: Yeah.
1: That's it. That's you're all you got to do. You're
0: successful if literally anyone else in the process does their job at the appropriate moment. But, also true.
1: <laughs> also true. Okay.
0: So I'm ready for the next rule.
1: This one's for you. This one's specifically for you.
0: Okay.
1: No two adjacent men in-house may wear the same colored cardigan.
0: Okay, yeah. So this is a big one for me. Um, This is very important, and this was a problem I had um, when I was uh, working at the the bigger place that I worked where there were more men.
1: I've never seen Um, you in a cardigan.
0: Really? Wow, we must not have hung out much, um, or I must have changed my look out here in Minnesota. But, like, I remember, like, getting... You know, that first year in that post and, like, winter rolls around, right? And suddenly, like, every dude is in the same color sweater as me. Okay, whoa, and whoa, whoa, whoa,
1: whoa. <laughs> sweaters and cardigans are different. Okay, well... Cardigans are a type of sweater. I Your felt, sweater game is strong. Felt, are we talking about sweaters? No, 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 no. We
0: were talking about cardigans.
1: Specifically, the ones yeah, that yeah, open? Yeah. and yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. And okay.
0: so the thing of it is is every editor has a cardigan um, or, like, seven. Because
1: it's and, cold in, in-house. Well, yeah,
0: and what are you going to do? Throw on a sweater, like, part of the proletariat? You have to... <laughs> Yeah. You have to have buttons. You have to have buttons, and they have to be unbuttoned. And the problem is that everyone has the same three shades. And What so, are the shades? Well, what? Like light brown, kind of a charcoal gray, uh, and then a dark blue, mm, right? And mm. you have those three, and you just kind of rotate them, and you just hope that the dude in the Cuber office next to you <laughs> isn't doing the same thing. And, like, sometimes what happens, and this is when you know that you've hashtag made it in the publishing house... Is that you just like go for it, and you know that it's all right. I know that Daryl's going to wear this today, but you know what? I'm going to wear it today. And you like have a whole little pep talk with yourself in the mirror, and you come in, <laughs> and you, and the <laughs> and you get in, and it's just a who blinks first because you know you can't you can't both be wearing the same navy blue cardigan, right? Someone has to remove this from themselves, and you like come back after lunch, and he's got it like folded and set on his <laughs> desk, and you're like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Um, it's a very big deal. It's very it's very stressful. Um, it's is very, it just
1: the cardigan, or do you are you guys Darwinian? all wearing the same color pants? Oh,
0: there's well, there was one time where three guys on the same floor, me included, all had the same dress shirt. <laughs> And it was, like, a really specific and distinct dress shirt. Did you guys go shopping together on your lunch break? (laughs) Well, so there's, like, half of publishing is, like, really, really good at dressing themselves. Like, you know, publishing people are, you know, a lot of them are fashionable. Um, And then the other half is me and, (laughs) like, just guys who um, hadn't really, you know, figured it out in their immediate post-college lives. Um, And so we all had the same clothes. and (laughs) And, yeah, so there was a stretch there where... Me and the guy named Dan in the cube next to me had the same dress shirt, and we were just on a schedule every time. Like we would. <laughs>
1: you had the same amount of laundry. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, we wore that shirt on the same day. Nearly every time we wore it, and it was, and we would like go to meetings together, and we'd be sitting there, and it, it was like purple and checkered. Was right? he blonde too? No, oh darn. Um, so like it was like it was a not like a just a standard blue shirt. Like it was a very specific shirt, <laughs> and we both just felt like idiots until I just I just made, made the commitment to not wear it anymore. Eventually, I was like, <laughs> so I can't you
1: lost this. that? I, one. I did,
0: I did, I backed off. I was the mm. the weak one in the hurt,
2: mm. um, but
0: at the same time. He also chose not to wear it anymore. So, like, so we like had this. You. We like had the uh, the complete opposite of like a cool standoff. We mm. both just like decided to surrender to each other. It was terrible. Um,
1: I've shown up multiple times wearing the same outfit as my female yeah. coworkers in publishing.
0: Yeah, it, it. I don't know. It was it was a pretty hostile work environment, and I had to you know spend many hours weeping after hours. <laughs> <laughs> um
1: That's a good rule. <laughs> I would like to put it on the record that I do think that Eric has strong sweater game, although I've never seen him in a cardigan.
0: Well, all they all shrunk or like I got bigger. I don't know. One of the You <laughs> know you're
1: not supposed to put them in the dryer. Yeah, you're well, supposed to dry them flat that, on I a know table. That now
0: <sighs> <laughs> Yeah. Bad. Next rule. Yeah.
1: You must simultaneously work at all hours, but also take Friday afternoons off.
0: Yeah, so this is uh, <laughs> Um. This touches on one of my least favorite things.
1: Summer Friday you know? is le- your uh, least no, 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 favorite? No, no,
0: thing? No, no, <gasps> no, no, no. Summer Friday is great. Okay, Anyone let's, who... let's explain what <laughs>
1: Summer Friday is.
0: Well, so, okay, so publishing doesn't really like to work that hard. And in <laughs> the summer. <laughs>
1: That was sarcasm, Uh, folks.
0: It was not. And in the summers, it likes to, um, like, you either get every other Friday off or you get, like, to work a half day on Fridays, right? And you can kind of just do whatever you want because all the editors have to get to the Hamptons or whatever. Um, But it really coincides, interestingly, with the fact that the only thing any publishing person can ever say to each other is how busy they are, <laughs> and how much they're just completely. I'm so completely swamped right now. I can't do anything. Or like how you like you know everyone is like making up the number of hours they worked in a week without actually. Or you say the, I'll yeah. give
1: you something on Tuesday, and then we all know that we're not getting it until Friday. Like <laughs>
0: yeah, that's just, just a rule. It's just it's just an industry that is full, and I've been guilty of this at times too. But that is just. The basic like habit of conversation, like talking about the weather in publishing is just like talking about how overwhelmed you are (laughs) and it's like – but at the same time and the other half of this that I think is so key is that um, everyone is always constantly available um, to like get a drink or something. Like happy hour, yeah, done, boom, 5 o'clock, let's go. Like it's very rare that um anyone is turning down such things so somehow everybody has all the time in the world they've and got yet- lots
1: of drinks on the calendar <laughs> but then this brings us to our next rule yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah it would be great to move drinks to next week
0: <laughs> yeah i did this a lot
1: you know that thing when you're an adult and you like you're like hey i have this one day available i'm doing things every other night but yeah. we can do this day yeah and then <laughs> you realize that you don't like people yeah. Um, and that you're like tired and like busy and you're like ugh. Um you just keep moving things down the calendar. Well,
0: this is a this also is a New York thing, I feel. Like because the whole city is kind of based on this happy hour culture, right? As many cities are, but New York specifically. That's
1: print run's culture.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, that's why we didn't record yesterday. Um <laughs> but uh yeah, somehow, Like I looked at my calendar back when I was in in New York City and it was like I just had drinks scheduled for every single day and yet somehow I was like never going to drinks because I kept like, oh, man, you know, it would be so great to push this back. So you just end up like canceling everything up until some like finalized date where you like have to do it or you're like never going to be friends with that person ever again. And then
1: everybody's really happy when you cancel, though.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Everyone loves canceling. It's my favorite thing in the world. My favorite thing in the entire world is when someone texts me and is like, actually, let's not go do that social thing we were going to go do. I'm like, yes, I'm sitting at home. (laughs) 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 Um, But it's definitely uh, in terms of publishing – Everyone is just constantly making plans with each other, right? Agents and editors are making plans. Coworkers are making plans because they all need. We all need to get together and vent about how busy we all are, right? So um, you're constantly like the find the end point of that conversation is always to like mindlessly schedule some drinks with each other. <laughs> well, that, That's the way to get that, people to stop talking <laughs> to you. Exactly. It's like, oh yeah, let's just like, yeah. And so, um, but no one ever actually wants to do it that bad, and so it just it's kind of slides around. Um, but you know it's good. It's all very healthy and socially acceptable. You know the um, good
1: thing about not being in an agency based in New York mm-hmm. is that when we come into town, nobody cancels on us.
0: Well, it's yeah. The, well, the one thing that was completely bewildering about being out here is when I started setting dates for such things.
1: They no actually one, happened. Yeah, they actually
0: exactly they actually <laughs> happened. People are like, okay, I'll see you there in twenty minutes. I'm like, what? <laughs> you will. <laughs> I'm gonna, like suddenly like get out of my pajamas to like. <laughs> <laughs> actually go to the thing that's been on my calendar for like two weeks. Um, it's horrible. Um,
1: Next rule. <laughs> anybody, I like yeah, this yeah, one. Yeah, Everything you like is actually bad.
0: <laughs> so talk to me about this one, Laura, because you and I have spent a long time kind of dealing with this dynamic.
1: Yeah. So as as somebody who acquires books, right. if you're an agent, if you're an editor, if you're whatever, yep. um, there's this constant – like ball up in the air where it's like maybe I have terrible taste and maybe this is awful and maybe <laughs> yeah. no one's going to like this yeah. and then I'm going to get fired and then my career is going to end and then I will never eat again.
0: Well, yeah, no, not only is is all the things that you've um, acquired and like um, not only are they bad, but everyone else is talking about how bad they are and they're talking <laughs> about you uh, for <laughs> uh, for having picked up such a terrible book. Um but, yeah, no, I mean, I think the point here is that there's just kind of this rampant um, insecurity that most people in the industry have regarding their own taste, regarding the books they've picked, um, especially on the agenting side when it's like pre sale and you're like trying to find a home for it, you know, um, before anyone really knows it exists or ha- is on a publication schedule. Um, you've called you called it what? Imposter syndrome.
1: Yeah, is that what that well, is? Well, imposter what is that? syndrome is something is a is a term that a lot of people in writing use, mostly writers. But it's kind of like that someday somebody is going to figure out that you're not actually all that, and that you're like <laughs> totally a faker, and that yeah, yeah, everything's yeah. going to like collapse underneath you.
0: Right. Um, well, that actually that actually ties in with uh, the corollary uh, to this rule, which is that everyone you know is more successful than you.
1: I feel like that a lot. <laughs> I feel like that um, a lot.
0: Yeah, it's just like – and that I think ties in so much to, uh, to just internet culture where the only thing anything ever has to tweet about is like their own like curated and manicured brand mm. and stuff. And so like everyone – on their own feeds looks like these really successful people with no insecurities whatsoever who's like totally made it. And everything is like a filtered book pick by a window. And it's like, (laughs) man. (laughs) um, But it is it does kind of create this feeling that.
1: Or like on Saturday afternoons when somebody take like posts an Instagram picture of like a cup of like coffee (laughs) and then like three books. And they'll be like my reading list for the day. And I'm like, bitch, you're going to read three
2: books today.
0: That's I'm not thing. even going to put I on pants. I can't open I can't open I mean I do open social media as every, as on on the weekends of course <laughs> I do. What am I what am I going to do not be on online. Um but I hate looking on the weekends cuz like people are like at least they're tweeting about how like much they're doing and how like they've completely they like, given up their entire lives to you know just working that pub life. <laughs> <laughs> it's like god. Um it's a very My favorite thing is when
1: I meet an agent that I've only known online at a conference and I think that there's a huge deal and then they think that I'm a huge deal and then we're both really nervous about it and then we both realize that we're like just people and that we're both eating cheeseburgers in our hotel rooms (laughs) watching HGTV.
0: Well, for me, it always is that everyone is like two feet shorter than I expected. (laughs) Like even when the man or woman is, um, you know, like six feet tall. Like I just had them pictured like eight foot four. Like I'm like, <laughs> like every agent is like Shaquille O'Neal to me <laughs> in my head. Um, but uh, no, it's good. It's good that we all uh, secretly loathe ourselves and view everyone else as better. It's really healthy and it's going to lead to a thriving future.
1: No. In- <laughs> so this one's for you writers. This is this is a rule for you <laughs> yeah, for start, when you get published. Yeah, well, I'm
0: tired of making fun of myself. I want to make fun of other people.
1: Someone is going to call you crying about not being acknowledged in your book and or will call you thinking that they are in the book.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I've had um, writers talk to me about that before where and as a as a view. But um, acknowledgements are a tricky thing, man.
1: They are. They are. Because you're going to forget one person who like you told your book – or you told yeah. them about your book for 5 minutes at a cocktail party yeah. and they like made some dumb suggestion of something <laughs> that you've already done and then they're going to think that you yeah. like cr- they created yeah, your yeah, career.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, I made him.
1: Yeah, or your sister's just going to be pissed as hell that like she's the sidekick character yeah, right. and that you really think about her like mm-hmm. that. You really think that? How awful. Why did you never tell her that?
0: Yeah. Um I've known some editors um at various places who have like shown up and like looked through their books, and if you go on their if you go on their shelf, the only books they have on their shelf are the ones they're acknowledged in, mm. even if like they worked on a bunch of other ones. You know, like I've I've I physically have seen it with my eyes, where like an editor will like go to like a list of books and like check the acknowledgement page, and if, like they're like not to, like cast it aside, what <laughs> pick up the next one, and like yeah, no man acknowledgements, um yeah.
1: You don't much care when you're in them, but you care when you're not in them. Oh, yeah.
0: No, I don't. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Um, <laughs> I remember, And you feel like that even when you're uh, just, like, a nothing in regard to the process. Like, I remember being, like, an intern at Oxford University Press and, like, having done nothing but, like, format the manuscript or something. And you're and in And then, there? like, at the end, the book comes out, and I'm like, mm, well – Guess like he was a total ungrateful asshole. This <laughs> guy. And I don't think we had like ever once like exchanged notes. Um And they
1: probably never knew that you worked yeah, on their book. No, they
0: had no idea who I was, but I was real but mad you, about it. Yeah, yeah, of course you were. Um
1: of course you were.
0: <laughs> um Next yeah. one. Yeah.
1: You're not an established writer until you've had five publicists quit on you.
0: Whoo, boy. Yeah.
1: Which is kind of so true it hurts. <laughs> it's kinda um, yeah.
0: Ooh. It's just for whatever reason, it feels like the turnover in publishing which is high everywhere and across but um it seems especially high in publicity for whatever reason and it always seems like we even within the cycle of one book like you're obviously you're always like constantly having to like reintroduce it you to, usually
1: get like two at a time Yeah. you get like your main right. person and then your your yeah. side person who's yeah. going to be the main person when the first person <laughs> quits yeah and then you get another side right. person and so there's always like two the at the line same of time succession.
0: Yeah, yeah 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 right
1: which is it's nice. Like I like to see who's gonna get the the crown next. Um, but you yeah. know that's always something that like as an agent I get a call where it's like my publicist is quitting. Am yeah. I gonna fail? Yeah. And like it'll be like congratulations, you're a step closer <laughs> to success.
0: You're a man now.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, yeah, that's a tough one. That one's tough in house too um, for everyone. But
1: yeah. another another tough one. This one's again for the writers.
0: Uh-huh.
1: No one wants to come to your book event. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no nope. one, no one yeah, wants to come,
0: and that like so you've been you've been to a lot of readings for yes. your authors for other people's authors for stuff. Sometimes and that, even for fun. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, but like for fun, the the fun for me of going like to a reading like when it has nothing to do with something that I've worked on is just like seeing whoever it is who does have a stake in the process there, like totally sweating bullets at things like the attendance count that's coming in. <laughs> like you you'll see like the agent kind of like sitting off to the corner by where the author going to speak and they'll be like desperately hoping that more people come in, you know, or, um, you know, the editor is like trying to make sure that, you know, they have the books there and like so that, you know.
1: I hope they have snacks. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, snacks are good. Um, but, yeah, the other the other nightmare here is uh, no one in line uh, for the signing. right? Which like, is also going to yeah, happen. Like, like if you're
1: a writer, you're going to have an event yeah. and no one will show up.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like literally That's no tough. one. It's because, yeah, books sometimes readings, you know, wrong time, wrong here's, place. Here's what I think it is, yeah. part of,
1: partially. Yeah. I think the reason that nobody wants to come to your book event yeah. is because it's a lot of the times it's just a reading. Yeah. Like, I, you know, readings are fine, but like, tell me, tell me some like nitty gritty stories. Tell me about how those five publicists quit on yeah. you. <laughs> like, tell me, tell me yeah. about how you, like your wife recorded you talking in your sleep and that was the basis for the story when she replayed it the, to, like tell me that
0: the best readings the best readings are the ones that aren't actually that much reading correct um you want like conversation or like other things that aren't actually in the book yeah um cuz that's more interesting but like i yeah, i've been to like some poetry readings where they just uh you know read the poems and you just get yeah, you get real bored real quick. And I like poetry and I even like some poetry readings. But sometimes some of those readings can be real bleak and I can see why. And it's always like not enough people are there and they set out way too many chairs. And then so you that like looks... can't
1: get up and, <laughs> and leave.
0: Yeah, it's real bad. Um, but that's a problem that everyone ends up having to deal with in some capacity. Um, so there's one more rule, Laura. <laughs> Would you like to
1: – It's Eric's favorite.
0: Never log off. Dun, da, da, da. <laughs> yeah. No, the key to all of publishing is to just make sure you're online and mad at all times. At all times. Um, so that
1: when the kid lit comes for you, <laughs> you're going to be there. When nobody shows up at your at your book reading, you can at least tweet about the book reading <laughs> yeah, yeah. and people go, "Oh, I wish yeah, I was yeah, there." Exactly. And then yeah. you can at least feel good about it even though they don't wish that they look, were there.
0: Look, as a gatekeeper, it's important for me to always be posting. <laughs> Um, ABP, always be posted exactly, Um, the key to all of book and literary success is to just never ever do any never ever close Twitter Um, just stay, keep it open even as you're writing, check it every two minutes Um, don't ever let anyone's tweets get past you that you couldn't otherwise get mad about (laughs) Um, keep the outrage fueled at all hours of the day and someday you too can be the person somebody's mad at online
1: that's a lovely thought. Yeah. That's like a, a lovely thought. a little
0: fortune cookie of online rage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, I
1: think we should move it to the mailbag. Yeah.
0: Let's do the mailbag. This is fun um, because we hadn't done one in a few weeks, right? Um, and we, got some, we have some really good questions Yeah. As a, um, as a
1: reminder, <clears throat> um, the mailbag is something we do periodically. Yeah. Um, if you have a question for us, you can either email it to us at printrunpodcast at gmail.com or um, ask us on Twitter with the hashtag AskPrintRun. Mm-hmm. Or I guess you could like add us, but like that seems less fun. Yeah. Yeah, use the hashtag. <laughs>
0: um, okay. So this first one, um, this was one that came into you, so why don't, why don't you start with okay.
1: that? Okay. So this, this one was um, – I tweeted something about how the book was pi- – like a book was pitched to me as YA, but mm-hmm. it wasn't YA. Yeah. It, was, it was very adult. And so the question came in and this is a question that always comes in. I feel like, you know, Twitter is not an appropriate place to be really clear about this. Uh-huh. It's like, what makes something adult? And the first thing that what like, makes something adult as versus Ian,
0: audience? You yes. Mean.
1: Like what makes a book for adults versus yes. for kids? Uh-huh. And what a lot of adult writers usually go to is content. You know, and this this is true for YA. This is true for middle grade. This is true for lots of things. And, you know, like I'll meet with writers at conferences and they'll say, you know, like, I think it's middle grade, but it might be YA because it deals with some difficult things like mm. divorce or sexuality yeah. or all this stuff. Right. And here's what I say to that. Fooey.
0: <laughs> Explain, please.
1: There's no such thing as adult content. I'm just gonna like really yes. We're there's gonna have to no fight about such...
0: this all of a sudden. Okay, so, so what do we got?
1: So what I mean by that is like there is no general topic
0: uh-huh.
1: that is exclusively for adults. I mean, except for like maybe tax evasion or something. Um but like <laughs> I would
0: absolutely read a YA novel about tax evasion.
1: <laughs> Bernie Madoff's daughter.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right, all right.
1: Um so what I mean by that is, like, life doesn't wait until you're a certain age, yeah, right? right? You know, like, people die when you're yeah. a kid. You know, you fall in love. You, you know, discover your sexuality. Sure. You, um, you know, you fight and you make up and there's divorce and there's, you know, murder sometimes. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's all this stuff. And so like, it
0: comes down to treatment.
1: It does. It comes down definitely to treatment, um, you know, and, and really it comes down to if this is a topic that is treated the way that a person in that age range that you're writing for would treat it, mm-hmm. um, Right. you know, like a really, really good example of what makes YA YA is that it doesn't have kind of that, that you know, like frontal lobe development, like there's not a lot of foresight. There's not a lot of like hindsight. There's not a lot of like learning lessons, like actively being like, that's a good thing. I'm glad I learned that. You know, it's a lot of just like experiencing and kind of being and just kind of like both through a China shop, like in your life. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And that's There's less
0: like mopey midlife crisis. Yeah,
1: yeah. And (laughs) so, yeah, Yeah. exactly. And there's, you know, people, people, you know, act out differently and they do different things. And so it's really just like make sure like you can cover anything you want. You just got to make sure that you're doing it in a way that is true to your audience and your main character.
0: Yeah. So I'm going to paraphrase this next one. Um, But basically the question here is. Um, is it appropriate to use a video game series as a comp title in a query? And my answer is is yes. I think it's fine. Um, and maybe some people will disagree with me, but, like, um, you get this come up a lot. Like, can I compare my book to a movie? Can I compare it to some other, you know, form of expression that really feels appropriate? And my point has always been if that comp helps me understand what the book is, to a greater degree, with some specificity, and there's a real reason for doing it. I say comp to anything you want. Truthfully, yeah. Um, I've and comped video books series. to
1: movies, like that. I've like yeah. I've sold books yeah. to editors that I've comped yeah. to movies. Yeah,
0: and like video games, especially as they become, um, you know, much more sophisticated, and you know, these start to kind of gather in these artistic qualities that really resonate with writers. You know, a lot. Of, you know, a ton of um, a ton of writers play video games. You know, it's just there, there are activities that end up. Um, in in uh, sync with one another, just because um, you know it's a lot of stories and character development and all this stuff. So like, yeah, no, I think that if a video game is either has inspired your book or like you feel it's like an aesthetic match or something, um, you know, the caveat always with any comp, not just with something that is in a book, is um, be specific and have a reason, have a real reason for why you're comping to it. But
1: so one thing that I want to point out here mm-hmm. is that. <coughs> With comp titles, there are two different ways to use comp titles. Uh One is to use them as like, these are my competitive titles. Like in a proposal, comp titles are important to show there is a market for this. These are the books that I would be competing with. Right? When you use a comp title in a pitch, when you use it like in a query letter, Mm -hmm. you're using that for comparison. Right. You are saying my book is like this, not yeah. my book will compete with this. Uh-huh. And so that that is really the big difference there is, yeah, you can compare it to anything you want as long as it's clear and it helps my understanding of what the book is. Right. But like if you're working on, you know, kind of like figuring out, you the know. The competition. The competition, yeah, you would, that's you not what it is. Yeah,
0: exactly. That's a good point. You wouldn't want to list um, a video game as a competition for your book because – it's not the same like very i mean the players of
1: your video game might be an audience for your book right exactly like
0: it's just i mean that's a very and that's a very obvious point to make but that is a good distinction i think like if you're comparing it's fine if you're treating it as like a competitive product i wouldn't do that um so the next one um this came into us uh pretty recently um And this one I want to do, like, an entire episode on. Like, this is on my list of topics that I really want to get into. Um, But the question here is, uh, basically, with 1984 and The Handmaid's Tale and other similar stories making comebacks right now in terms of popularity, is dystopian literature having a comeback? Um, Well, what do you think? Um. Yeah, okay, well.
1: I I wonder (laughs) if you it. I... Hot take. Uh Um, I don't think that dystopian (laughs) literature ever really went away. Um, It's been a really big thing in the last couple of years with the Hunger Games and Divergent um, in young adult literature. And it's this very particular brand of like government control sci-fi dystopia. Yeah. But like also like any book can be dystopian. Well, you know,
0: looking at this question a little. Um, you know, both of the titles they list um, are not YA novels, right? Correct. These are adult, adult. Um, what would be considered, you know, I think literary stories. Um, and for me, I think that the – I agree that dystopian literature didn't necessarily go away. But um, I do think that it's going to make somewhat of a comeback in terms of popularity, not in terms of volume of the ones being written. Though that could obviously happen too as people kind of respond to the times yeah. or like um, – but – I feel like this was – and this is kind of what I want to have an episode on is I feel like this was always going to show up anyway regardless of how um, how crazy – you know, because these – how crazy people view these last like 20 months or so. Um, I think that this kind of thing was always going to kind of come up just based on, you know, the last however many years of American history. But, um, you know, like you know, the books listed here, these are not new books, you know. These are very old books. Yeah. Um, and so th- – any sort of new trend of new titles in dystopian literature, it takes some time to catch up, right? Because authors have to go not only experience the world that they that they want to respond to, um, they have to, um, you know, they have to write the book, they have to get it represented and published. Like there's a lag time between this stuff, and I kind of have felt for a while that. Um, we were sort of due for some sort of upswelling like this. And I think we're just kind of hitting it. And I think it's only going to continue as people kind of respond. Um, so
1: here's here's yeah. what I think about dystopian literature. I think it's popular not because it's fun for us to like see the world go to shit. Right. Um, I think that putting people in bad situations, yeah.
2: um,
1: kind of is is inherently, hopeful in mm-hmm. a lot of ways i think i think it really gets to a lot of the humanity that people like to experience yeah. in in books yeah. um
0: well a lot of dystopian literature sort of ends with someone kind of overcoming yeah the dystopia, yeah right? either not that or even... like making
1: their stand and yeah, like, like dying there's... but they're okay with it and like yeah. i mean i i think that as far as what it achieves i i think that you can kind of look at dystopia as kind of a genre way to look at like holocaust stories like you see like those are never going away they're just like always there right and they're always there for the same reason
0: yeah well i think like dystopia often it kind of implies um you know it implies a future right like it's like it's kind of speculative um but like you're saying i mean the holocaust thing is um you know as a kind of literary you know genre i don't know if this genre is even the right category of books You know, like holocaust literature um that's obviously not Um, a speculative future that's history you know and so you can kind of get that but that same vein of tapping into um, trauma you know and having writers respond to that Um, but in terms of like why Nineteen Eighty-Four and like the Handmaid's Tale have come back I mean we kind of touched on it (laughs) (laughs) but but, like the reason you know those things have kind of come back um, because I think the simplest way is just people are feeling more inclined toward hearing those kinds of stories yeah. right now, you yeah. know, and like as that happens, you're going to see because all that's available are books that are already written because, like we just said, there's kind of a lag. Um, like it takes a while to get some of these books out into the world, even as you respond. But like, um, you know, there are things, you know, like right, you know, right now you're just you're just now starting to see books that kind of responded, you know, on from a, from a fictional perspective to like the financial crisis, right? Mm. Like, isn't the Wangs versus the world about Um, that has, like, very heavy kind of 2008 recession themes in it, I think. But, like, you know, and that's a recent book. Like, so you're starting, like, you know, yesterday's trauma is today's, you know, literature. Writing fodder is tomorrow's. Exactly. So, like, you know, as things happen, like, you know, the great, um, you know, the great Trump novel, you know, that's – that's not here yet, you know. Like that's gonna take a little time because people send it are, to Eric. <laughs> send it to me, but but people are processing, it, you know. What I mean, people are processing this stuff, and um, like I, you know, one thing, and like I said, we should just do a whole show on this because I'm I'm interested in it, and I think we'd have a good conversation about it. But like, I'm really ready to start reading, um, like Iraq War novels. You know, like I want to start reading. The war novels of the wars we've seen as opposed to like Vietnam and World War II and you know mm. things like that and um I don't know I so I guess
1: also send those to Eric <laughs>
0: um but I guess like to kind of put a bow on this one um yes I think that dystopian literature never really went away what sort of changed is the
1: attention it's is paid. the attention
0: for it and I my guess is that by the time um Everyone gets around to writing all their dystopian literature, the world will once again look different and it might kind of resonate more interesting. You know, um, it's tough to kind of follow current trends with fiction because it takes a while to produce, but it's an interesting question.
1: Last one. So, this is one that we received in an email. Um, so, the question it, is yeah. Was it an email? I, I think
0: I remember this one from a tweet. It might have been a tweet. Whatever.
1: The question is, is how do I communicate that I am a professional to agents while still reaching my audience, which likes humor and off-color jokes and right. and kind of that voiciness?
0: OK, so I like this question um, because it's about voice in queries, right? And it's sort of that balance between trying to sound like a competent adult while also maybe kind of capturing the voice and tone of your writing, mm-hmm. right? Um, so what do you think about that?
1: I honestly like all you need to do to be professional to me is to like have an actual bio and format the query correctly (laughs) like that's all you need
0: no so that's (laughs) that's honestly honestly that's my answer as well is that if you like what makes a query professional to me is less that it's kind of bland office speak language and more that it's got without being like overly annoying or something but like um, it gets across the necessary bits of information, right? Like it gets me the metadata. It gets me, um I and you should tune into our query show to hear us <laughs> talk about this stuff, you know all the time. but um, it it gets at all the necessary bits. You tell me what the genre is. You tell me how long it is. You tell me your comps. you give me the the author bio, all the kind of basic stuff. If you give me all of that and you give me kind of a lucid, um, you know, well-structured you know plot summary and all that kind of stuff, if you want to be a little voicey with it and kind of get a little bit, um, you know, kind of give a little flavor, I'm totally fine with it. And yeah. in fact, I think it works. And um,
1: But not when it adds a ton of length and not when you're obscuring the actual information. Yes. Like, for example, from your biography yeah. by like being funny. It's like the place to be funny if your book is funny is about the book.
0: Yeah. Um, So yeah, I mean, uh, that's maybe the the quick answer is that it shouldn't come at the expense of any actual information. Like you never want to do anything that makes your um, info less clear. But yeah, no, I mean, I think voice is great. And if you do it, if you write it well, it's sort of a point in your favor to me because it demonstrates that you can write tightly and well. I don't know.
2: Yeah, it's a good question.
0: Well, should we move to the pub tip?
2: Yeah,
1: um, this one I want to get on a shirt. (laughs) Here's what it is. The had is bad.
0: Mm. Explain. Uh,
1: what I mean by that is from, from the had <clears throat> uh-huh. is past perfect
0: ah, as a tense. Tenses, yeah. Yes,
1: verb tenses. Here we
0: are talking about verb um, tenses.
1: So the past perfect, which I am driven crazy by all the time. Mm-hmm. I still have to look up what it is every time. I'm like, what is that thing called that I hate? Um, <laughs> what it is is it's I had eaten versus I ate. Yeah. So it's, it's by,
0: well, it's, yeah. like, it's like a past tense of the past tense, right? Yeah. Like it's what you use when you need to go further back in your already past tense story. Right. And it's sort of, yeah, it can become irritating.
1: It's that. very irritating. And so what it, what it really does yeah. is when you include it a lot and a lot of writers do this, yeah. um, when you have it in there, what it does is it puts kind of like a time barrier in between you and your reader, it essentially keeps them at arm's length because you're kind of recapping what something has already done rather than using the past tense or the present tense. Honestly, it gets used in both ways, yeah to to keep them really close. yeah, um so that's that's what it is. Well, like, I
0: think so I think the the answer is just to be cognizant with your tenses. Yeah, um you can't because the thing with even if if you're writing in the past tense, which you know most novels I think are, um, and you keep going back to the um, the past perfect, it's just one more layer removed from your main narrative, right? Yeah. Like you're getting away from the present moment of your story. It's like, why your, aren't you
1: showing me this? Yeah, why are yeah. you telling and me like, that so it happened? You just,
0: and between that and kind of the, the tiresome had, 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 um, it just kind of kills your momentum a little if you end up relying on it too much. Um, so it's just kind of a question of balancing um, the past as it relates to the frame of your story with your main central narrative. I think, yeah. I think that... Um, that tense is sort of indicative of, you know, momentum killing when you should try to avoid doing that. But
1: there you go. So the hat is bad. I'm going to get it on like <laughs> a fun tank top and wear it to yoga. Um. God I don't go to
0: yoga with you. I'd be embarrassed.
1: <laughs> so that brings us to the close of this I think it was quite fun was episode. Fun. Yeah. Remember, our query show goes live June eighth, our writing by reading, our first episode of that goes live the fifteenth, and our first pages the twenty-second. Send us anything you'd like at printroompodcast at gmail.com and we will see you for our regular episode next week.
0: Bye.